friends, and welcome to Typology. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we want to congratulate Ian and thank you for the success of his new book. The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery has sold nearly 100,000 copies in its first year. You can grab it at Amazon, iTunes, or wherever your local books are sold. If you're new to the Enneagram and want to learn more about it, you may go to www.typologypodcast.com. That's www.typologypodcast.com and download a free chapter from Ian's book titled Finding Your Type. Also, while you're on the Typology website, visit the About page and take the introductory Enneagram assessment to start the journey toward identifying your Enneagram number. Now, as promised, I'd like to give a shout out to a few of our Patreon supporters, Julie Donahue, Karen Besant, Kevin Conklin, Catherine Patillo, Susan Compton, Stephanie Hall, Katie Bomberger, Carolyn Felker, Kathy Erickson, Amanda Ritter, and Jonathan Butrin. Your contributions are so greatly appreciated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now, here's the host of our show, Ian Cron. Hey, Typology Tribe, this is Ian Cron, and I am so excited to have this next guest on Typology. It's my friend, Lisa Welchel. Now, some of you may know Lisa as an actress. Uh, she is most known probably for her character Blair Warner on The Facts of Life, but that's far from uh, being the only thing on, on Lisa's resume, as you're, you're soon going to find out. You'll also know her for her recent success on Survivor the, in the Philippines, but she's also an author and life coach. And in fact, her, her first book, Creative Correction, has sold over 200,000 units, which I can tell you in the current publishing environment is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> she's written several other books, but she's currently focusing her time on helping others in their transformational journey toward remembering their true self. So let's get to it. Lisa, welcome to Typology, my friend. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. That's that's for sure. Uh, you and I became friends just in the past year through mutual friends, and that's been a, a wonderful journey for me. Yeah, me too. I've For so long, people would say, oh, yeah, you're talking like this friend of mine, Ian Cron. You need to get together with him. And I heard that over and over and over again, and it, and it was all true. Yeah, vice versa. And um, yeah, I feel very, very grateful that we've had the chance to, to get to know each other. So obviously, you've had a fascinating life. You've had an amazing journey. Can you, from your perspective, just give us the arc of the journey for you? Uh, I was born and raised in Texas. I was born and raised in, uh, in I was born and raised in Texas, and I um, moved to California when I was twelve years old to be on the New Mickey Mouse Club, and I stayed out there and did other work until I got the role of Blair Warner in The Facts of Life, and that was on for nine years. Nine years—that's a long time, isn't that, it? That is a long time. Yes. And then I left show business. Uh, we filmed the last episode of The Facts of Life in March of 88. I got married in July of 88. I got pregnant in 89. And then I had a child in 90, 91, and 92. So I even do childbirth as a three. <laughs> <laughs> it's efficient. Let's get this done. Let's have them all in the same pl place at the same time. We can deal with things. It just was very practical. Wow. And, uh, and then I left show business to be a stay-at-home wife and mother, and again, as a three. It wasn't enough to be a wife and mother. I was a pastor's wife and homeschooling mother and just jumped into that with both feet and uh, was going to be the best wife and mother ever. And then, um, let's see, then I started writing books and wrote a bunch of books, and um, we took a trip around America for a year in an RV uh, promoting my books, but also just kind of one giant homeschool field trip. And um, then since Survivor in 2011, started life coaching and 
that's kind of my I guess that's the arc. Wow. That's uh that is very three, right? That's it's full of accomplishment and doing. Yes, yes, lots of doing and um as I look over, I mean that's been from the time I was very little. I I I kind of trace back uh, to one of my, uh, I think my earliest memory. I was reading a book once that said, pay attention to your earliest memory because there's some, there's just a lot of data in there. Um, what is the message that you took from that memory? And what was the feeling that was attached to it? And that they are all connected. And you may even still be operating from that one really powerful memory. Because the reason you remember it is it happened in a time of deepened or heightened emotion. So it just stuck. So when I was reading this book, I was thinking, okay, what is my earliest memory? And I immediately saw this little purple folder in my hand. And I didn't remember the purple folder. So I was just kind of, where did that come from? And then I it, 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 I realized where it was. It was I was three years old and my mom had signed me up uh, for this nursery rhyme reciting class with my other two cousins. It was six weeks. Every week we were to just, you know, we were to learn a nursery rhyme and color a picture and put it in this purple folder. At the end of the summer, we were to do a recital. So every child was to memorize one of the nursery rhymes and perform it for the parents. Well, I guess I was at three. I was a three because I memorized all of the nursery rhymes. Plus, I added hand motions and choreography. And I had this really big smile. And so the teacher put me on last as the you know final, you know, the, the grand finale. And at the end, I, it, the heightened and deepened emotion happened when the applause. And not only was there the applause afterwards, but... There's this memory of catching my father's eye in the back and this this sense. I mean, all of this is very foggy, but this sense of, I think he likes me. And then my mom picked me up and put me on her, her hip and walked me all over the little dance studio in this sense of she's proud of me. And I think at that moment, it was like, okay, so this is the message. Don't just do what's expected of you, of you. Do more than what's expected. And don't just do it a little bit. Do it really big. And then you will have that love and acceptance that everyone craves. And I went into kindergarten that way. You know, straight A student, teacher's pet, started acting, got everything I ever auditioned for, um, became a Christian. I was going to be the best Christian ever. I mean, just on and on and on. It was, it really has been the script of my life. Mm. I, I, this is so important because every single type, this is, you know, something that could apply to every single type, right? We get a message early on that, Hey, if I'm a perfectionist, if I just do everything right, if I don't make mistakes, then it's going to help me get my needs for love, uh, for security, for uh, appropriate mastery and control of, uh, of the environment and others met. All those needs are going to get met. I'm going to get the just all that love that I want. And we could go through every single number and uh, postulate a, um, how these strategies fell into place. You know, now it's obvious you've you've done a lot of work around the Enneagram. You're a student of the Enneagram. You've studied it. You studied with Russ Hudson, of course, who is a, you know, maybe the leading sort of voice in many ways of the Enneagram. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how the Enneagram has helped you as a three develop spiritually as a human as a human being? Um, yeah, I would say certainly uh, this isn't anything new, but help me see things I didn't want to see mm. that I have uh, helped me see blind spots that are blind because they make me uncomfortable to look at. Mm. And yet, you know, as a three and certainly as a student of the Enneagram, which is, again, I I love Richard Rohr says, and probably he's not the only one, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. You know, I do everything as a three. And so, like, if I'm going to study I'm going to study for five days with Russ Hudson. I'm going to read every book there is about the Enneagram. I'm going to go deep in whatever it is. And so, um, you know, studying about the Enneagram and about the three specifically, it's 
you know, helped me see things, the, the, the vanity that's there, because I thought, well, I'm not, you know, well, of course I'm on television. I'm on a, I'm, I'm trying to get attention. You know, how in the world could I avoid thinking that I want attention? But it really took the three. I mean, look, reading about the three to just kind of own that. Yeah, I need attention. It makes me feel lovable. I, I want that. And uh, so I guess that's the main thing is being able to not really stay in denial, which is also uh, has been one of my favorite friends. Yeah, <laughs> you just you alluded to the shadow, right? Which contains uh, information about us that we would rather not uh, see, right? And in your experience, what's the danger if you're not familiar with with your shadow and have you experienced it? I have, um, I have experienced it. I, I think, I don't know how to, maybe I'm going to come at it from a different way. For me, it's helped me to be less judgmental. Um, because we basically judge our shadow. So therefore we repress it or cut it off or don't look at it because we judge it and one thing I've learned is the way to reclaim it is to bring some compassion around it to some some acceptance about it it's not life or death I judge it because I'm afraid that if it's true about me I'm not going to be loved I'm going to be rejected and so I don't want to even I don't want to acknowledge it because it, there's this point, you know, the head in the sand thing. Then, then if I don't acknowledge it, it's not true. If it's not true, then I'm not going to suffer the consequences of being rejected and judged for it. So if I can bring some, not only light to it, bring it to the light, but then some acceptance and some compassion around it myself, then um, uh, there's just mercy. And so it's made me more merciful because you can either do that. It, you know, as you know, the shadow, one of the best ways to discover your own is what annoys you in another person. So I, you can either go one in one door or the other. I can either be more accepting of my shadow, which then diffuses my judgment of others, or I can be more uh, grace-filled and merciful and understanding and compassionate of others where the similar things they, they have, which then works in, in myself, softening my own you know, just harshness in inner critic. Mm. So a lot of our listeners are new to the Enneagram, and I want to take a moment and just uh, help them remember that the unconscious motivation of the three is a need to succeed and to avoid failure at, at all costs. The passion or the deadly sin of the three is deceit. How do you how would you describe that passion or that deadly sin and, and how have you incarnated it and how do you know when it's starting to take over? Um, yeah, it's because I was, I mean, I've been a Christian since I was 10, so I'm very careful not to lie. So I'm not going to just outright lie, but man, just uh, exaggerating uh, not telling the whole truth, uh, letting people believe something about me that I know isn't completely true, but it, you know, it may, I would rather them believe that than <laughs> know the truth. So lots of subtle ways, uh, uh, kind of amplifying it, it, kind of going along with the three. It's about accomplishments. Accomplishments are going to make you more lovable. So, um, you know, blowing up my accomplishments a little bit or just not letting, not being completely truthful. Mm. So when you're a three with a two wing, right? And again, I think this, uh, this material is, is helpful for people who are new to the, to the Enneagram. So in that kind of average space, uh, a three with a two wing really knows how to turn it on. And I think this is what you're describing when they need to impress someone uh, they they really care a lot about what others think of them, but when they're healthy, the three with a two wing, they're just more outwardly emotional and spontaneous than uh, than others, and uh, and then they're responsive to the needs of others, you know, and they're perky, they're vivacious, right? And but they're also more in tune with the feelings of others, which is helpful because. 
Of all the numbers on the Enneagram, threes have the most trouble identifying and recognizing their own feelings and the feelings of others. And I'm curious how that dimension of three has played out in your life. And maybe that leads no, us into yeah, relationships. That's a, that's a big dimension of, of, of my journey as a three and understanding it. And when you said of a healthy three is more uh, spontaneously emotional and or out with their emotional. And that is that is a growing edge for me uh, to be spontaneous is um, I've got a lot of filters. I notice a lot of filters. They go through, and uh, before I say something or do something, within a nanosecond, I've already calculated how other people are going to respond to it, how it's going to hit them, um, how they're going, whether this is going to get me, you know, fear of rejection and judgment so deep inside me that it goes, so So to be spontaneous is, it can be really terrifying for me. Uh, because I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake. And do that's probably the fear of failure. Do something that is going to get me, you know, cut off or ostracized or or judged. And uh, you know that also. Uh, I guess the 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 flip side of it is yes, I'm definitely in tune with other people's emotions. I am in tune with them. I'm, I can be, but that's also a little bit of hyper vigilance. You know, I can read a room. I can read people's feelings, what they're, you know, it, very intuitive. That's a good thing. It can also be, um, you know, it can also be a negative thing if it causes me to adjust my authentic self based on my fear of their reaction or perception. A friend of mine who's a three, he's a pastor of a mega church, and uh, his wife says that when he walks into a room, that he launches audience analysis software <laughs> in his mind. And in real time, he can be looking into another person's eyes or face. And this is how he self-describes. He, and, and, and he can see that how they're responding to him in real time, and he can when he's not very self-aware, not in a great space, tweak his mask or his image uh, to, and he knows, by the way, when it's working, when he's winning that person's admiration, right? Uh, when he sees uh, the shining in the other person's eyes, that he can see them shining, this, admi- uh, this look of admiration comes on and then he goes, okay, I know how to ride this horse. Hmm, wow, yeah. Right. And it sounds like you're, you're describing that a little bit. And now, when we go into the realm of feelings, we're into the realm of relationships. Hmm? Tell me about threes and relationships. Like what's your, if I can, you know, tell us a little bit about your history with relationships and how being a three plays out in them. Uh, I have, I think I have, um, uh, I think threes have been really helpful from, I, I mean, re- relationships have been helpful for me as a three. I was married to a six for 23 years. Now I'm in relationship with a nine. And as you know, that's, you know, the the this, this the triangle of uh, stress and in integra- integration. One of the things that helped me when I studied with Russ Hudson is he reframed stress as um, someplace we go when we feel, yes, stress or also really safe. And I, I, I could I didn't understand that at first until I, I, I realized it's so true. Like as a nine, um, uh, when I go to nine, I will go there if I feel overwhelmed and like I'm, it's too much and I can't do enough to get the love that I want. So I'm just going to give up. But I also go there if I don't have to do anything to get the love. Then I surrender mm. and just be. So what is that's a, an amazing insight that we've not heard on this show and actually an insight for me. And I, so I'm grateful for it. And I, so what does a three in nine in that sort of disintegration space look like and, and feel like? Honestly, it's the ability to binge watch a show for <laughs> six hours without guilt. And not do anything. Not do anything. Wow. That's a big deal. So oftentimes, nines go to that place to narcotize, right? Yes. To kind of tamp down desires, right? And But you're describing that as a really healthy, healthy space for threes. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I've never been a binge watcher until this relationship with a nine who does use binge watching to narcotize. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, everything belongs, right? Yep. <laughs> because he's helping me in that... 
I feel so safe that he does not love me for what I do or what I've accomplished or who I I, I show up in this world, but just my presence, just mm. being with me. And so it takes so much pressure off that I can simply enjoy being and being present with him, you know, for nine hours on a weekend, binge watching some show, what show? and not getting anything done. Come on, tell us what show. Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it amazing? It was. Yes, oh, it was. I loved it. Oh, we couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, we did it over three nights. We didn't, you know, we didn't do it over one weekend. But man, oh man, it was awfully good. I loved every minute of it. Now, this is interesting because... You're describing a relationship where you share a line, right? And mm-hmm. so it's helpful for you as a doer, right, to go toward a number which is more about a nine, which part of their superpower and their gift is just knowing how to be. But now Pete, who's a mutual friend of ours, uh, or not more than a mutual friend to you, more of a friend, <laughs> less, more of a friend to you, but for friend to me, right? Uh, you can help him go to where he needs to go uh, which is to three in security, right? To become more of a doer, right? So what does a nine in three, like what do they gain from going to three? How does it change them? You know, that's a toughie for me because I am so um, afraid of shaming him for his inability to sometimes just do things that come naturally to me. So, and I don't want to be a nag, um, at the same time, I have to, to toe the line between, okay, at some point I have to say something or it will just build up as frustration and resentment. And so it's it's a tough, I think it's a tougher thing for me to to help, you know, and even using the word, help him come more to the three side. Mm. Um, there's just a resistance in me to do anything other than just, I, I lean toward wanting to just him to feel accepted for who he is without having to change and that's probably because that's what I have longed for myself Hey everybody, one of the lessons I've learned over the years is that not everybody benefits from a traditional 50-minute counseling session. And this is why some people can go to couples therapy or personal counseling for a long time and never really get anywhere. This is why I'm such a believer of intensive counseling and my friends at Restoring the Soul in Colorado, created by my longtime friend Michael Cusick to help couples or individuals experience deep change and have day blocks over one or two weeks. Now listen, if you can't wait months or years to get to the bottom of an issue or to experience breakthrough, you need to get in touch with my friend Michael and his extraordinary team of counselors at Restoring the Soul. If you're looking to get out of the rut you're in but can't wait months or years, call Restoring the Soul today for a free consultation with Michael's staff. Call 303-932-9777 and learn how their intensive counseling process can help you. As a special bonus, just for Typology listeners, make sure to visit www.restoringthesoul.com slash typology to download their PDF called Five Ways Unaddressed Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationships. So you've been a celebrity since, and I know this because you and I were walking, you and I and Andy were walking through an airport the other night and just talking away and... uh, I think two or three people stopped us, including the TSA guy, someone else en route to the American Airlines uh, uh, lounge where you kindly got us in to spend a few hours uh, in comfort. And the guy behind the desk at American Airlines recognized you. Now, how has celebrity affected your threeness? Like that must be a little bit potentially a drug right like a i mean it kind of feeds right into maybe your threeness how have you adapted to well that? i'm not you know in in the i'm not a social three. Oh, okay so it really and i'm an introvert and um you know got into acting in the first place because i was so shy my mom put me in an acting class to help me overcome my shyness. So all of that kind of being recognized and uh, that's something actually I have kind of, I, I, I pull in rather than soak up. 
Mm, that's interesting for a three. So you, when you say you're a social three, folks who don't I mean, know this, I'm more. I, I'm not a social. Three. Oh right, you're a. That's my third one. So like, is is uh, you know, as Russ Hudson teaches, the the best way to bump up our third one is to pay attention to our is to. Uh, pay more attention to our second one on the three tier, which my second is self-pressed, but by the one that comes more naturally to me, I don't like that they, some people say it's the sexual three, but you know, the relational three, three, the bonding three, the intimate three. And so therefore, most of my threeness is really about relationships, which of course with the two wing, you know, it just double down, it just doubles down with that. So I would rather have the attention from one person than from many. Now that's so. In some ways, celebrity has been a challenge. Not because threes want admiration, like twos would want appreciation more than admiration. And it's just fascinating to hear you say that. It's really, in, and I think it's very important for people to hear this: the nuances, right, uh, of particular types. And for those of you who don't know, we're talking about instinctual variants or subtypes here. Um, so you kind of feed on it in the context of that one-on-one relationship and i just want everyone to know that these nuances are so important because for many they they look at just the core generic type don't necessarily identify they sense i think that's me and then i i tend to say go to the subtypes and see if it helps uh clarify and uh give you more confidence that you are a particular type so I think it's wonderful that that uh, that you that you brought that up. Do you think gender plays a role? Because I think, like with eights, I think people think of men as being threes in some ways. Is that? Do you think gender plays a role in it? Um, I that's not been my experience. I mean, I think because again, my threeness showed up as a wife and mother. Mm. I. I mean, I had a chart for my kids that was broken down into 15-minute increments <laughs> when they were three and four and five. <laughs> so, you know, like they had 15 minutes of snack time and then 15 minutes of, you know, being in the room alone and then 30 minutes of room time, you know, together and then 15 minutes of craft time and then 15 minutes. I mean, it was broken down and I was a very efficient mother. And so uh, it shows up, it, it, you know, no matter, I think it, no matter whether you're a male or female or corporate or artistic or, you know, stay at home mom, you know, the energy can show up anywhere. Mm. This is such a great lesson for folks who are new to the Enneagram. It's not what you do. It's why you do it. Now, what you just described for someone who may have been new to the Enneagram sounds like a one. You know, uh, it's sort of the characteristics and traits of a one. But your unconscious, the reason you do it is for a three reason. I did it because I wanted them to have the best childhood ever. Mm. And I wanted to be the best mother ever. And so this was a way to make sure there was a lot I wanted them to experience. And this was a way to most efficiently, most, you know, practically and predictably make sure they got everything that Mm. I wanted them to you know, to experience as a child. All right. So personal question time. Okay. Oftentimes threes and three moms, but threes in general, I think would say, you know, before I was self-aware and had done some work, I used my children in some way to, or I saw them as a reflection on me. And because I wanted to be admired and because I wanted to be seen as accomplished, I needed to make sure my kids were accomplished and uh, would reflect well on me. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. You know, the blessing is my first child was ADHD. So, you know, I had to kind of throw that out the window really early (laughs) that that other moms were going to think I was an awesome mother. (laughs) Right. Unless, unless we, you know, especially if we went out into public anywhere. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. Right. And they were acting like a BB in a shoebox. Yes, absolutely. So I, um, uh, but yeah, most definitely I wanted, but here, let me take it a little bit further. Um, I've had the overlay of that has always been since I was 10, this fear of failure 
as a Christian. Hmm. I wanted to not only be a great mother so that other, you know, moms would think I was a great mother, but there was this meta kind of so that I could be a good reflection of Jesus and as a Christian, because I, I carried that from a really early age that from the time I, I, I first um, really encountered Jesus, which was I, I did on my own. I just went down to a little ch- church by myself and um, I wasn't raised in a church going home, but I I experienced this overwhelming sense of home, but then I, my, you know, my threeness took over and it wasn't safe in that home unless I was the best Christian ever. And, um, and, and so even as, as a mom, it was really even more than that. I wanted people to think, yeah, okay, so she's a Christian. She's a Christian mom. Her kids are obedient and uh, well-behaved and act like little Christians too. Mm. So those of you who are listening, uh, this is a characteristic feature of threes, which is they read the expectations and the preferences and the values of the crowd in their milieu, and they begin to adjust their own behaviors and goals to satisfy those preferences and values that they pick up in others that will win admiration if they fulfill them. So that's really, really helpful. So how do you know when you're moving toward disintegration, when you're heading toward not being your best self? I would say when I start rehearsing ahead of time, what I'm going to say, when I start thinking through scenarios ahead of time to make sure that I'm prepared with the best response or what they're going to find acceptable or what's going to get me what I want rather than trust that if I'm honest in the moment, and that goes to this deceit thing, my fear of being honest, because my fear of being honest is that if I'm honest, I will, it's equivalent to failure. I will be judged and rejected. So there's no room for spontaneity. Uh, So I, I rehearse ahead of time and become what will get me the best result. Mm. I have a friend of mine who's a three. Uh, He said, I spend more time in a closet uh, looking at my clothes. And he said he actually has almost, it's almost like a, a wardrobe room. It's like a costume room. And he knows, okay, I'm going to a party tonight. What what will that group be wearing? Probably what clothes should I wear to not not just fit in, but to appear like the poster child of of this particular group. And so one of the things he does, he says, when I, I, I now know I, I'm going to give myself 30 seconds in that closet and, and I'm going to wear what I want to wear versus what I perceive others will be wearing in, in order to impress, you know. Now, I think I probably live more in my going to stress as a nine in my closet. Oh, tell me about that. Because I um, I feel really inadequate when it comes to those kinds of things. What, the way I dress, the way I look, uh, makeup, hair, I'm not good at that. I don't know how to put clothes together. I don't, I don't have that, that sensibility. And so I think I just go to stress and give up. And I just want to put <laughs> sweats and, you know, a sweatshirt and yoga pants on and wear those three times, three days in a row. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's a def. I mean, so I definitely go to nine in my closet. Mm. So I, this is a question I just always love to ask people, which is if you could travel back in time and meet with your 20 year old self, what advice or words of wisdom would you want your 20 year old self to hear and know? Very practically, it's not deeply spiritual wisdom. I would say live simply and Put enough money away, because I was making a lot of money at that time. Put the money away so that you can have the freedom to do nothing but what truly is who you are at your core. Because I've done a lot, not only for my three, but also just for money. Mm. And when I look back, you know, that's an understandable motivation to survive in this world, but it's also pretty fuzzy because then it's, I've done things that weren't inauthentic because as a three, I'm good at a lot of things. I can do a lot of things, but it's, 
just because I'm good at it doesn't mean it's um, who I am at my core. A lot of it's just doing stuff um, to be successful. And there's an element of inauthenticity to that. Yeah, it's okay. I said oftener earlier. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you feel free to just spill over numbers okay. and words if you want. Okay. So that's all good. Um, so this is maybe even, again, a, a little bit of a, a esoteric question, but who is your true self? Like, how do you, what do you perceive to be your true self? And how do you know you're there? Yeah. When I feel into my truest self, I, I'm just awash with tender love mm. and a desire for that love to just flow out of me. It's very difficult for me to imagine me not in relationship with someone else. And I don't mean one-on-one, but like I, it's difficult for me to receive some kind of revelation that's really opened me up and brought freedom. And the next second, I want to share that. It's hard for me to enjoy it just for me without also sharing that. So at my core, I feel I am, you know, like this has some charge to it, but a channel for God's love. Mm. And I think that that can also be a part of a three, part of a healthy three. And it's it's never black or white. Like things that I have done because I have felt the need to achieve a lot, they're all tied to helping people. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the two, but I think that's also tied to my core self, which is, you know, I wrote a lot of books, but I wrote a lot of books because I really wanted to help people. Yes. You know? I recorded an album, not because I, I like to sing. I'm a terrible singer, but because I knew that the audience... Lisa, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Y- you were nominated for a Grammy? <laughs> that doesn't yeah, mean Something anything. went right. Well, something, well, it would have meant something to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it because I knew the audience watching the facts of life were teenagers and I wanted to share the love of God with youth groups but I went and they I stood up to talk and they tuned me out so as a three I went to the head of Sparrow Records and I said I want to put the things I want to say to music and take a band and sing the message to teenagers and so I did it but again it was simply because I I so have this deep just I can't not share the love of God in the things I'm learning with other people. Mm. And it just has taken different, you know, forms. Mm. So you're describing where a three goes in health, which is that high side of six, right? And six is when they're healthy, no longer need to drive the bus, no need no longer need to flaunt success uh they are okay just being another bozo on the bus and they're so good at helping others live into their full potential and become successful in their own right and not have it be all about their own success and that's what i hear you saying there and i think that's a reflection of health and self-awareness Okay, I'll take that. You'll take it. That's a little money in the bank for the day, right? All right, so you're a life coach, and probably some of our folks don't know what a life coach does. And can you describe it for us? I think you just did. Um, it is my desire I, to see people become their fullest, truest self. And because I have been, especially the last 10 years on this transformational journey myself, I recognize when someone is ready to let go of what has been successful and survival and defense structures for them in the past, but now it's closing them in, and yet they don't even know what the next step is or what the future is. They just know that this is no longer working, no longer feels enough, no longer feels like who they are. And because this is the journey I've been on specifically the last 10 years, um, As a life coach, that brings me such joy to be able to help people make that transformation. Mm. We were talking earlier about one of the sort of things that people have to recognize uh, as they begin their transformational work. They've learned their number and they're thinking, okay, I I need to work to dismantle and disidentify with those parts of our personality, their personality, that really no longer serve them. 
right? Which isn't to say we don't want them to get rid of their personality. We want them just to be healthy in, in their personality, which for you would be looking like a six, right? Uh, on the high side of six, uh, among other things. Um, so do you use the Enneagram? It sounds like you do in your life coach work. I do. Um, mostly for myself. I, I, I send them, I mean, I use the, the Myers-Briggs. I do a saboteur, saboteur test for them and then also the Enneagram. And for, for those that seem to really get it and resonate, we can talk about it together. And then there's some people that it, it just, um, it's not interesting to them. So I just keep that information to myself. All right, everyone, you hear that? Uh, this is really important because a lot of times people learn the Enneagram and they just think it's going to be interesting for everybody. Uh, and it's all they talk about for about at least six months, you know, <laughs> until they realize that not everybody wants to talk about the Enneagram. And as Beatrice Chestnut told us on an earlier show, and I thought it was so important, is that the Enneagram is not a standalone tool, uh, that it needs to be complemented uh, in the spiritual life with things like meditation and prayer or you know uh by you know using the saboteur uh test or other things that will be of of service toward the same end of becoming your re- fully self-actualizing right doing your work so i just want to encourage everybody to keep that in mind and to recognize that it's not a uh all-encompassing you know a transformational rosetta stone right that it, there's other things that are of great use to to people that i, I think is important for them to know you and i have talked a lot about favorite teachers and people that we read or listen to podcasts that have helped us on the journey. Do you have any that you'd recommend to people? Um, Well, Richard Rohr is, uh, you know, people, there's the question I've been asked on talk shows before too, you know, who's your celebrity crush? But um, your celebrity crush. No, no, but Richard Rohr is my celibate crush. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little tweaking of it, but it's actually all true. That is hysterical. (laughs) Your celibate crush. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm going to tell him that. I'm sure you already have, but I I think that's hysterical. Um. So we we are going to name this show right to put up on the podcast site. And I'm just curious, as you reflect on your journey and on our conversation, what would you name this show today? Like, what would the title be for this show? Mm. You can take a pass if you want. Yeah, I'm. I, I think what I'm. I'm what's feeling for me is that this sense that it's so. You know, we're so quick to want to label somebody. But I think that not only do we have to be careful to label somebody, but like in my own life, the three energy has shown up in so many different forms that at different points in my life, I might not be labeled a three. I may not be, I may not look like a three, but I'm still very much a three, Mm. even like in this season of my life where, um, about a year and a half ago, I, I dared to descend into the terrifying, deep abyss of emptiness mm-hmm. that I felt within and feel like the f- true terror of if I am not doing something, who am I? Oh, Lisa, I was about to head toward the conclusion of the show, but now I can't do it <laughs> because that is important, you know, that. This year, I mean, did you intentionally go there or was it something that you were thrust into? I was thrust into it. And again, the three with the, you know, bonding sexual subtype is not necessarily going to look like the normal three because, yes, I've accomplished a lot, but that that it hasn't been it, it was in the beginning simply for my mom or my dad's attention. And then it was really for God's attention. And um, so this sense of a fear of my own emptiness, it shows up even now as I, what prompted me was I was in relationship with someone and the relationship soured, went bad. So I, uh, because my threeness is about wanting the attention from someone else, when that didn't work out, I felt all the stuff that. I had been trying not to feel 
that is combined with my three, with my two, and then also this, you know, doing all this to get their attention. And then when none of that worked, when my two-ness didn't work, when my, uh, you know, my accomplishment by being the best partner ever, by being the best, you know, uh, girlfriend ever, when that didn't work, I, I, I was just thrust into this emptiness of mm. I can't. I can't do anything well enough to maintain um, love. Oh, my gosh. So, folks, twos, threes, and fours are the most image-conscious numbers on the Enneagram. All three project images to win the love that they feel they couldn't get if they were their true self. And all three have an anxiety that when the mask comes down, that there actually is no one behind it. Is that what you were feeling was the anxiety that the terror that, oh my gosh, if this hasn't worked, if, if the mask isn't enough, then who am I? And what does that mean? Yes. I remember specifically feeling like I have nothing to offer if I'm not doing. Oh boy. Um, why would anybody want to be with me if I'm not doing and not just doing achievements, but doing in relationship? Like if I were to really just simply be, I would be boring or ordinary um, and nobody would be attracted to me because there's nothing attractive about this emptiness I'm feeling inside that is underneath all this tap dancing. Mm. All right. So has there been a moment of, what's the word I'm looking, epiphany or breakthrough when you were in that space, if it's happened yet, when you realized I can just be and be loved, not do as a prerequisite for love? What's helped me with that is accepting all of me. Mm-hmm. Not just the shiny parts. Because there was a wall between the shiny parts and between the messy parts. Therefore, when the shiny parts weren't working, all that was left was the messy parts, and the messy parts were rejectable. So for me, it was more being able to accept the imperfect parts mm. and being human. And a lot was tied to what other people felt about me. Again, you can come in one door or the other if it's a circle. I could either decide, oh, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me, or I could love myself. And once I really sunk into that I love myself because God doesn't require me to be perfect. He sees all my imperfection. But see, that for me to learn that, I had to fail. Boom. And that was the turning point for me. I remember when I I knew God was trying to teach me about grace, and I actually said, I want to learn about grace. I just don't want to need grace. Wow. Because if I need grace, it means I've messed up. Wow. That is going to be so helpful for, for a lot of people, because what I hear you saying in there is part of that unconscious motivation, which is to avoid failure at all costs. And I, I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that twos, threes, and fours are all in the shame triad. And it, it sounds like part of that bottoming out, if you will, was having to experience shame. Yes, absolutely. And it wasn't imagined shame. I mean, shame was heaped upon me, you know, outside me. But then also the truth was, I knew that what I was being shamed for was only a smidgen of what I deserved to be shamed for. So there was an even deeper shame. Mm. And to sink in that, and I, man, I tried to get out of that. I tried to outrun that, try to double down on my threeness to be mm. good, to be better, to be acceptable, to, you know, to outrun this humanity of mine. Mm. And when I couldn't, and see, that's a big thing. As a threes, as threes, I think we're really capable of outrunning this a long time. 
because we work really hard and we're usually good at a lot of things. Yes. And if one thing's not working, then another thing does. So it took me a long time to get to a point that I couldn't outrun something. I couldn't be better than. I couldn't engage my will and just, which again, not being connected to my feelings was really, really helpful in being successful. Because if you're not bogged down by emotions, I could set my, my use my mind, know what I needed to do, engage my will and do it. And if I'm not bogged down by what my body or my emotions are going to be in conflict, I can soar. But I'm also really disconnected at that point from my body and from my emotions. And I'm not a whole person mm. either. Yes. Uh, we were just talking about Richard Rohr and uh, as a resource for people as they do their work. And I, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the book Falling Upward, that, you know, failure oftentimes is the best thing that ever happens to us in life. When when our strategies for winning love no longer work, and it may feel like crap when it happens, but to not double down, to resist the temptation to double down on using tools of the past to make the present work, to, to stay in in that space of brokenness until it's finished with us yeah until we've until we've learned what we need to learn to become more whole well lisa I, we always end the show with uh transformational tips for the type that we're we're talking about for that day and i want to get into that uh but first as you know so lisa let's talk for a moment about some things that threes can do as they go about their transformational work. And I'll say a couple of things you add on, on as you as you please. So first, I, I would encourage threes to take an inventory of who and what gets sacrificed while you're frantically racing to cross the finish line in first place. Is it your spouse, your partner, your kids, uh, your health? What is it that gets sacrificed? And ask yourself the question, is it worth it? <laughs> yeah, and I, I would, just from a personal uh, testimony, uh, another real big turning point for me was when I realized I really didn't have a best friend. Mm. I had my children, and I was a good mother, um, and I had my husband, and I was a good wife, and I had friends, but nobody that I was really close to, nobody that I had let close enough into my heart. Um, I, I would open up my home, and a lot of it, my friends eventually said to me, we felt like you opened up your home, you opened up your life, but you never opened up your heart to us. I... I and, and again, it's really hard because I looked like I had a lot of friends, but there was this plexiglass wall between me and other people. It looked like we were touching. It looked like we were close, but I knew I wasn't feeling it. And I wasn't feeling it because for one thing, I didn't have time to just be with people. I would do things with people. I would invite them over and we'd, I had a game club. But as far as being with them, I didn't have time. And so when I realized what I was missing, that I would take it would mean spending time with people. I realized I, I, at that point, because then I was going to be the best, best friend ever. Right. You're going to use your three <laughs> exactly. talents right, to fix your three problems. Yes, yeah. Exactly. I got out of a book contract and I stopped blogging and um, made space in my calendar to have lunch with friends. And like me, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a long time ago. This was now. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. But I tell you what, I uh, there was this moment where I knew, Lisa, if you make this choice to pursue relationships intimately, you will never be as successful as you have been thus oh. far. And that's true if you define success by accomplishments. Man, so those of you who are threes or who love threes, I want you to hear what Lisa just said, because threes who aren't very self-aware, haven't started their work, tend to do relationships rather than have relationships, you know? And, and also, threes can be personable, but not personal. Yeah. Absolutely. All of those things. Yeah. And I, that, I am guilty <laughs> on two as counts. charged. Yeah. So what I hear you say is a transformational tip is... 
invest in true relationships, not doing them, but having them as part of your kind of treatment plan, your self-treatment plan for getting more toward wholeness as a three. Yeah. And and if dare to waste time with somebody. Oh, gosh. Instead of having to get something done. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, exactly. Rather than having to get some something done, it, it's hard to quantify having lunch with a friend because there's not much to show for it on the outside. So when we have first had lunch, the first time we had lunch, one of the things I walked away feeling was, oh my gosh, I spent the whole time talking about me. Now, I could have gone on and said, well, that's because you're a four dude and you're very self-involved. You wanted Lisa to understand you, air quotes people, if you didn't hear them when I said the word understand. But it actually was because you spent the whole time asking me questions, which made me feel better as a, in retrospect, I realized. But I realized, oh, my gosh, you, you were intentionally not or you maybe not intentionally, but maybe just because you've done the work, you weren't trying to credentialize yourself. You were trying to elicit from me my journey instead of self-promoting yours and i just really appreciate that thank you and as everything is both and i was genuinely curious and wanted to learn from from you and about you and it's a defense for me as long as i'm asking questions of the person across the table then they're not going to get so close to me and see something that they can judge and it's also really safe mm. Hi, folks. Threes, those who love them. Third transformational tip I have for you, in addition to those first two, I want you to challenge. Uh, first of all, I want you to articulate for yourself and then challenge your definition of success, right? And then craft a new one based on your feelings, your desires, and real values, not those that were inherited from your family or your culture. And I think that's work with a journal and this goes into my last one which is and this is true for all types but particularly for threes and it's a real challenge for them which is to develop a practice of silence and solitude and meditation to counter the high value that threes typically place on activity and productivity and i will say Again, I'm all about the both and. Yes, um, meditation has been really helpful for me to practice doing nothing <laughs> and being comfortable and not wanting to jump out of my skin. Mm. Uh, and I have to be careful. Like I uh, last year, I went on a 30 day silent retreat. Ooh, for a three, that could be a real challenge, huh? Yes, but you know, I also found a, a way to jump out of it. I wrote 92,000 words <laughs> on my computer. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was still producing. I had to, but I, I have to get, be gracious with myself. Hey, I did go away for 30 days and yes. not talk. And I did, you know, yes, it, baby steps. So, but 10 minutes of just sitting with the uncomfortable feeling of not doing anything is really, really huge. And I will have to say, but because of the threes being not really knowing how to recognize our own feelings and desires and emotions, another thing that's really been helpful for me is group therapy. Because I sometimes can't feel for myself because I'm so disconnected from those feelings, but I can feel for somebody else or I can see in somebody's eyes or their reaction, maybe how I should be feeling or I am feeling, I'm just so disconnected from it. So group therapy has really been helpful for me to have some kind of point of reference for what I can't get in touch with on my own. Mm. Well, lastly, this goes back again to our friend, uh, your our, our celibate crush, uh, Richard Rohr. I would recommend to all threes that they read Falling Upward, A Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life and Immortal Diamond. And Everything Belongs. Yes, a great, a great that, starter that, point. That, uh, I celebrate my achievements and the shiny things and the fact that the failures are the other half of wholeness 
Mm. Well, folks, that's all I have for today. Uh, Lisa, I mean, there was just one pearl of wisdom after another here today. And I'm excited because I think it fulfilled your mission, which is to help people become their true self. I mean, your willingness, your willingness. Okay, I had two. <laughs> two to one. Okay. Okay. Ian, two. Lisa, one. Uh, your willingness to be self disclosing is a tremendous gift that gives others permission to do their work and to go on the journey. You're a life coach. Uh, can you just tell me where folks can go if they want to do some work with you? Yeah, you can do my website, which is lisawelchel.com, or also my life coach website, which is Contigo Life Coach. And Contigo is Spanish for with you. Boy, that's great. <laughs> that's great. I love that. Um, do people need to be living in the Nashville area for you to be their their life coach, or can is there another way for them to do it? No, all of my life coaching is done by Skype, so my clients are all over the world. Okay, good for people to know. I think that's a a wonderful service to to provide for people. Okay. Well, again, folks, that's all we have time for right now. But Lisa, will you come back on the show? <laughs> I would love to. It's a Gosh, joy. Gosh, it was fantastic. If you all enjoyed today's show or have suggestions for future episodes and guests, I would love to hear from you. And you can go to our website, typologypodcast.com, and submit a question or comment. And if you're up for it, please leave a review for us on iTunes. It really helps folks find our show. So until next week, remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde, my friends. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken.